it's us that get compromised that then compromise the network. Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. The Bitcoin block height is 805333, and the value of one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and many other things as well. Today, that guest is Jeff Booth, founding general partner of Ego Death Capital and the author of the incredible book, The Price of Tomorrow. You can find Jeff on Noster by going to primal.net slash Jeff Booth. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jeff, and I think you will too. If you're a Bitcoin-only company looking to sponsor another fucking Bitcoin podcast, hit me up on Noster at primal.net slash Walker, on Twitter at Walker America, or by going to bitcoinpodcast.net. Without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Jeff Booth. All right, we are good to go. So greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. For today's Bitcoin talk, I am joined by the one and only Jeff Booth, an entrepreneur, investor, author of one of my absolute favorite books, and of course, he's a Bitcoiner. So Jeff, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on the Bitcoin Podcast. Hey, no problem. Great to see you, uh, Walker. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's great to see you as well. Um, I always learn something whenever I'm in your presence, so uh, very much looking forward to that today. Uh, just uh, because this show is both geared towards people who are perhaps veteran Bitcoiners, but also maybe Bitcoin curious and pre-coiners, they may not know who you are, although I'm sure every Bitcoiner listening does. So I'd love to start out with just a bit of who you are. Uh, what was your past, uh, let's say, past life uh, before Bitcoin? How did you then find Bitcoin on this journey? And if you could give us a little bit of a rundown of where you are today, uh, I know you've uh, you've got your hands in a lot of things right now. So I'd love to just kind of start there with who is Jeff Booth and how did he get here? Um, I am an entrepreneur who's tried a lot of things, made a lot of mistakes, uh, learned a lot from those mistakes, um, and uh, and um, and still constantly learning um, to uh, the uh, what that looked like in in kind of early tech days or early internet days where it was I, I saw a way to to change an industry using technology um, and I created a company that through lots of ups and downs and everything else at one time was worth a half a billion dollars um, and Kind of, and 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 so we had to reinvent that company many times over twenty years of uh, of growing, and so understand that kind of course. And I would say probably some of the greatest learnings uh, were not the exterior events that, that I thought were the things stopping me, but the inside things that I was stopping uh, from happening. So I, uh, so just lots of learnings of uh, being an entrepreneur, taking um, uh, having a a view of the way the world would shape on technology and trying to, to trying to drive that forward and then learning overall what was happening with technology is uh, at, a, at a higher level um, uh, through the process of kind of learning within an industry um, that led to 
me writing a book called The Price of Tomorrow, where where I I talked about a thesis where where technology is obviously deflationary, um, yet we were living in a system that was inflationary, and they and those were two completely polar opposite systems, and it would essentially rip apart society as it was as as tech, uh, as we tried to make things more efficient. And every time we tried to make things more efficient by the free market, government or or monetary easing needed to capture that gain and transfer it to few people. So I I wrote about what that would look like and how the how that would unfold. That's been largely true today. And then um, and then from there I saw an opportunity um, to two things. I saw an opportunity. I wanted to spend more of my time on the honest ledger driving driving that forward. And I saw an opportunity that it was emerging that Bitcoin, most people were looking at Bitcoin just as a store of value. And what was emerging on the different, on the next layer, lightning and so on was, was really a new peer to peer internet that was going to have a bigger phase change to, to society than the internet itself. And so I started a venture capital fund investing in only Bitcoin companies building on top of the, uh, on top of that. Yeah, and uh, ego death. Correct? That's right. Which I think is probably the best name for a venture capital fund <laughs> I've I've ever heard. It's uh, uh, it always makes me think a little bit. It it makes me humble anytime I hear the name, and my own ego uh, dies just a little bit, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> all. It happens to all of us, and I didn't yeah. come up with a name. My partners came up with a name, and it just it was uh, it was fa- it was perfect because that's what that's what ends up happening as you go down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin. Um, if you believe you're bigger than the network, you're going to get wiped out. You're going to get really hurt. If you, uh, if you realize it is an honest ledger putting all value of, of, of work into all people's hands as it it moves forwards, it's just an honest ledger and, and you, you don't control it. Then you'll probably do well by that because you're on side with the protocol and, 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 and like, but too many people believe they're bigger than Bitcoin and they have a hard time seeing Bitcoin because of that. Now, for the first time listener to your podcast, when I just said that, that's going to be a bridge too far. Um, people <laughs> need to do the work to understand what this means. Uh, but we can explore some of that. Well, yeah, I think, uh, for me, just, uh, going back to your book, the price of tomorrow, I believe that I first read, I've read it a couple of times. Uh, now I read it once, listened to the audiobook once, uh, I was driving once and reading the other time. But the first time I heard you explain that technology is naturally deflationary and this natural deflationary te- uh, tendency of technology butting heads, as you said, with the inflationary nature of our monetary policy, even though I, I thought myself fairly deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole at that point, that sent me on this whole other journey where I said, I, my God, okay, it, like many good ideas, it's very obvious in retrospect, but it's non-obvious until somebody points it out to you. And I know for a lot of people, I saw from some of the, when I posed the question on Noster of what, what should, you know, what do you want to hear about from Jeff Booth? Uh, somebody was saying, you know, the price of tomorrow is what basically orange pilled me. So I think for so many people hearing that simple phrase that technology is deflationary and then asking the next necessary question, which is, okay, if technology is deflationary, why does everything keep getting more expensive? Why, when we have increasing efficiency on assembly lines and more automation, 
why do so many basic things keep getting pricier? And of course, you've got flat screen TVs and things which people love to point to and say, well, look, they're getting cheaper, but the vast majority of things are not. When did you have that realization? Because I think it's a great place to start for even pre-coiners. But when did you have that realization about technology and figure out that if you put it into that package with the butting heads of inflationary money versus deflationary technology, that that was going to be such a a potent combination for people to really go to another level of understanding. So, so I would say it was that insight that led me to Bitcoin. Not that I wasn't interested in Bitcoin, not that I wish I didn't uh, get it before, but it was that insight that led me to Bitcoin, not the other way around. So I wasn't trying to defend Bitcoin with my thesis. I was trying to openly try to question because what ends up happening, you've heard me say this, thousands of times um you can't um, uh, you can't measure a system from a system like you can't you can't see the unknown so a fish doesn't know they're in water right the um the and and so so if it's true that technology is deflationary and everybody knows it is but they only see it in certain things um and those certain things it's because those are being those the marginal cost of production is dropping so fast on those things that it's overwhelming the other uh, the other things but technology is across everything so it's not like we don't have technology and energy it's not like in oil production and oil distribution it's, it, we have technology across the board so all these things should be falling in price as well um just at different rates um and and so when it, kind of going back to what you asked the the that was a 10-year journey for me wow. trying to i would be talking about it all the time and i couldn't find but i was running a business as well like so inside my business you're so focused on the business but i really the first technology we built a, a logistics automation software cost five million dollars approximately five million dollars to create 40 odd developers to create um Five, seven years later, it was free and it was way better than the technology we built. So you could see it and you could see. And, and so the question I had is if, if technology is a base layer of everything and or, or, or on one side of things, entrepreneurs are trying to create value for society and they're using tools to create value at crazy rates. And then we use those tools that give us more value. How could that process not be deflationary? Because it would only be inflationary over a long term is if we chose things that gave us less value. So, so I couldn't understand what that was, and that led me to investigate how the existing financial system was wired um, globally, how the whole thing worked, and that led me to <gasps> right, <laughs> and and then realizing what it would mean for society is everybody didn't understand that they were on an unstable system. They were on a system based on theft and it would get worse and worse. And the only way to, to, to essentially resolve the conflict from the system is go to war um, and, and divide society. So I saw that. And then, so I was looking for, um, a path away from that, a path that would, uh, that would be the opposite. Um, and, and my first, even before I wrote the, the book, actually probably what compelled me to write the book, a couple of different things. I was talking about a talk about if you were a friend of mine, 
at a campfire, um, guitar campfire, having some drinks, you wouldn't want to be a friend of mine anymore. Cause it was all I was talking about <laughs> for years. <laughs> and, um, but I, but nobody could give me, um, answers. And, and I went to, and, and, uh, one of the central bankers in, in Canada at the time where I was in, I was on business council of Canada, top companies in Canada. And I was just very, very privileged closed door meeting, about 30 of us, um, Manulife CEO, others, but Royal Bank CEO. And, and I asked that I posed this question and, and he said, what would you have us do? And I realized, and and I don't normally swear, but I would say the people in charge of the rules have no clue and it's going to, and, and, uh, and that's going to, and my children are not going to grow up in the same, with the same chances of what the world that I grew up in. And it's going to look, uh, it's going to, this is going to be a really ugly situation. So I, I felt compelled to act. That's what made, I didn't want to write the book. That's what made me write the book. That was one of the th kind of tipping points that said, I have to, I have to write this book. Um, and then, and then through that, even at the end of the book, Bitcoin was a paragraph. Um, it was, it was a potential solve and I had already owned Bitcoin, but I didn't want to bias the, the view to Bitcoin at that time. And I probably hadn't done enough research myself to make sure that to, to understand that it was the only path out or was the, the, the most, the, the, the most likely path out, the, the, the best path, the best bridge away from the system we were in because the system couldn't change itself. It had to be transformed from the outside. Um, and so, so as I did more and more work on that and tried to disprove my hypothesis and try to disprove my, my thinking around Bitcoin, I became more, uh, more, uh, more sure. And essentially I just reduced my probabilities of Bitcoin failure from at that time, 5%, 6% to, to now 0.1%, but I'm still constantly, we can talk about what I, what I see, uh, the only potential, uh, at some time in this, but, uh, but, and, and maybe I'll simplify it. Uh, I'll go up a level first and I'll simplify it. If techno, if the marginal cost of production trends towards zero, which is true, uh, economists know that that uh, is it's why your calculator app on your phone is free it's why the air you're breathing is free it's why um so if that's true and we have exponentially increasing technology which is also true um uh, productivity and technology which is also true then um then the only thing that could measure that would be something that had a fixed number of units and money so but but what if you were measuring by the existing system, what would you would think would be happening is Bitcoin price would be going up with volatility. What's actually happening is it's measuring all prices falling to the marginal to zero from Bitcoin. So, so it's, it's measuring that and it, it'll, it'll measure that with a lag, whether, whether it's deflationary or inflationary. It'll just look different, but Bitcoin is repricing the entire world. It's not the other way around. And you can see this, you can see this in Argentina. You can see this in Turkey. You can see it right now. So, but people are so sure of their existing piece of paper that they don't, they don't see it. So then, 
if what I just said is true, then the only risk of that actually happening, whatever it might take time as, as, as the world starts to understand this might take a longer time. There might be a whole bunch of rug pulls on the way as, uh, as some people, uh, as some people think they can leverage against this, um, and, um, and debt gets unwound into the new system. But the only thing that actually changes that happening is if somehow Bitcoin, uh, is compromise and decentralization and security. Otherwise, everything I just said is inevitable over a long enough time, uh, time frame. It'll reprice everything. And it's interesting. That was one of the main questions that I saw asked a couple of times when I put the idea out on Noster was, what is the potential failure case for Bitcoin? We all operate as in, as if it's inevitable. It's a bit of a meme. But of course, there is always a probability, no matter how slim, that maybe we're wrong. Maybe there's something we didn't think about yet. So is that is that your failure case? Basically, is the it's not that we're wrong. It's not we're wrong now. It's mm-hmm. that it's that ultimately Bitcoin is us, right? It's a it we're the nodes. If you you run a, you likely run a full node. I run a full node. Um, many uh, many Bitcoiners run full nodes. We are the rule set protecting the network of the, the decentralization and security. Uh, miners are economic actors trying to to make money on that as they chase abundant uh, abundant energy around the world, and so it, it literally ties energy to the new peer to peer internet, and we're the nodes protecting that. If there was not one change, and I want to be careful of one, change, so if there if the protocol has st- stayed the same now, the base layer. And didn't have any chain, drive chains, all, all the, 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 the nonsense you hear uh, right now. Then, then it's inevitable what I said over a long enough time period. And also inevitable is other things will be solved on layer two and layer three. But for the very, um, so, uh, so it's us that get compromised that then compromise the network. If I, if, if that makes sense, no, it's, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And th- that was another question I had for you was kind of without getting too specific about any one project initiative, whatever we want to call them about uh, changes to Bitcoin in general, would you just, just from what you just said, would you describe your attitude towards changes to Bitcoin in general as uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it situation where any change you make on the base layer while it may potentially have some benefit that you could argue for, is ultimately the the potential cost of that change is not worth whatever benefit could potentially accrue if you made the change. Yeah. So, but I would even go stronger than that. Um, if it isn't broke, don't fit. So, so the the evidence to needing a change has to be overwhelmingly in favor of all the node to be able to make that change because the risk of making the change are so great. Now think about how, think about what this would look like from a, we'll go a little deeper on this topic. Why the, and, and I might even write an article on this topic because it's so important. Um, so, so the entire, so we saw, let's just look at human nature in Bitcoin. So, so human nature and the Bitcoin has been substantively the same. And all you could do on Bitcoin 
for the last 14 years or before, before lightning is hold it and get rich. Right. Um, and how many people, Roger Ver, many others became so they were bigger than the network and they wanted to own more of the network and decided to tinker at the network and create a better version of Bitcoin. And what do those look like? And there's 25,000 other coins, right? Yeah. And so we know, so, so just, just by it's normal in human nature, it's normal to want to tinker and make something better. And so, because this is an open protocol and people could cut it over and create a Dogecoin or anything else and say, mine's better. Obviously a market would develop and for a free, a whole bunch of ideas to create better Bitcoin and none evidently has worked, have, have worked. They've all compromised. They all either get centralized or, or lack security. Uh, I'm not saying they haven't worked for the founders. They haven't worked for, uh, uh, I'm saying they haven't worked for society writ large because, because you couldn't build a, uh, you can't build what we're talking about on top of something that's centralized. Um, so, uh, you, uh, and, and I've said this many times, otherwise you just use a database. Yep. Right? You, right. <laughs> so what, what's, what's uh, the point, what, of, what's the point uh, of a blockchain? Um, if yep. it's going to be centralized, but, but it doesn't mean that all of these things won't be tried and will constantly be tried and the cost of trying. And so, so there's two parts of this one, naturally, everybody's going to want to change it. It's just totally, totally normal because I want to create more on that base layer. And two, probably more important, very, very small number of this population, uh, uh people on this planet think in second, third, fourth order derivatives. Um, and so changes that they don't think could compromise something later on end up compromising, uh, uh, later on. And, and there's just too much, there's, there's too, too much risk to the, so this is one of those things that decentralization and security together is the first time in human history that that's ever arrived. Um, that we always had to trust institutions that became centralized over us because, and then laws to protect us from that centralization. Um, and then those would be corrupted by money because we didn't have something that was de decentralized and secure. We human humanity now has something decentralized and secure, and it's critical that that stays that way. And I'm going to add this because people can't see what's actually already happening on the second and third layers. They want to drive things that shouldn't be on the first layer into the first layer because they can't foresee what's happening and what's going to give them all that functionality where, where the, where it actually makes way more sense. Anyways, they want to design change because they're worried about the right now. How do we get rid of all altcoins right now? How do we, um, how do we do this right now? Um, and that seems like a really perverse way to, it, 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 but, but it's because they don't know it. They don't, they don't know the, what's happening. They don't know what's happening in Fediment. They don't know how a lot of these, these things are going to be solved in different layers where they should be. Um, so they want to make changes just like all the altcoiners tried to make changes to, to create their new coin. So this is just a total natural function of, uh, of market and who's in control of it. We are.
And I suspect that there's so many people in Bitcoin like you, like me, um, that, that are rigid in that. And then, and the nodes will, will enforce, uh, enforce the, the, these changes that, 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 so that, that slow nature and that consensus building and all of that debate that makes sure something has to go through that debate to be able to get to the other, uh, other side is actually a feature. Yeah. And I find it, I find it so interesting because the argument of, uh, and apologies if you hear one of my dachshunds in the background, uh, the argument of we need to get rid of all altcoins by basically making that functionality available on Bitcoin. I, I don't understand that logic of, of coming from, uh, coming at it from that approach of, well, if we just made this available on Bitcoin, the altcoins would go away and then they'd be on Bitcoin, but they'd be better because they're on Bitcoin. And it's, it's interesting because human nature is human nature. People are always going to invent get rich quick schemes. You're not going to get rid of all, you know, NFTs didn't disappear. NFTs on Ethereum didn't disappear because ordinals existed. Uh, shit coins won't disappear because you have that ability to make this token, you know, new token, uh, on, on top of Bitcoin. So does that just come down to again, this, perhaps it's a different types of mentalities. One is the, uh, and this is, you know, there are a developer may say to somebody like you or I, somebody who's actually really doing the hard coding here. Well, you know, you need to keep making changes. You need to keep improving and developers want to do that. But is that just, again, is that ego or is that, are we missing something? Um, it's just natural. It's, uh, whether it's ego or it's just a natural thing sitting was, if you had the perfect, uh, perfect invention, um, and or, or discovery, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, whatever this is, if it were, if it was, and whether it's perfect or not, let's uh, uh, leave that for a second. But if it was perfect, people would try to change it, right? For sure, right? We know human because it would create so much for them to say, "I made it better." So it's it, that's just a normal thing. I don't even I don't even pay much attention to to it. But now where you drive human incentives and everything else, so you have right now in BIP three hundred and three hundred and one kind of through that you have people paying money to other influencers to try to move this move this out right, and and so so think this think this through, and that's today. Now you think this existing, the existing financial system was, which is based on theft, but it accrues money at that, at that level. What about a, a real psyop that comes in and says, we're going to place these people and we're going to try to move this and we're going to pay people almost anything to be on the take, right? To be able to create, um, just like if you just said, the disinformation campaigns through whether it's the CIA or Russia driving into some of your Twitter feeds that you actually believe some of the, the things on either side of this that are influenced more and you reinforce that, that influence. And it's, so it's such a powerful, it's so powerful over us right now. And money, that incentive is so powerful over some people. Think about an attack there that a, a coordinated attack to try to centralize the ledger that people wouldn't see at first as being a central as a centralizing function. Now, I just what, how I think about this is what would I do 
knowing everything I know about how people move, markets move, everything else, what would I do if I was sitting at top of this and I was had all my wealth from from this and I wanted to from the old system and I wanted to retain it through any means necessary? What would I do? And so, whether those have started to come yet or they will come, when I say I can't put it at a, at a non-zero probability of failure. That's why, that's why. And, and what stops that, uh, from we do, right? We do, uh, we do people acting with integrity, people acting that can't be bought. I love people that, that I, uh, I, I love people whose integrity can't be bought. Yeah. And, and what you, what you find around Bitcoin, a lot of the maxis and a, a lot of the people who run nodes is, that's what's the, that's how, that's how they're looking at it. So as they're looking at it, hopefully, um, changes, any change has to meet a threshold, a such a high threshold of a bar because the risk of the risk of, uh, destroying it is too great. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you completely on the integrity piece. The other thing we have going for us at least is the actual game theory behind it, where, uh, if we're thinking of, let's say, economic nodes, as you would call them, uh, those holders who have a large amount of Bitcoin, it is in their best interest to continue supporting the chain. As we saw with Bitcoin Cash, for example, spinning yeah. off, those started out at parity and now look where it is. I mean, down, what, 90, some high 90% from where they started out because economic nodes made a decision, well, I'm going to sell the Bitcoin cash and I'm going to keep what is Bitcoin because yeah. this is the one that ultimately gives me the best advantage in the long run. So self-interest, in addition to integrity, I think self-interest is a beautiful thing in this context because everybody operating in their own self-interest, besides perhaps the few people who have been bought off by outside means, all that other massive uh, chunk of people who say no, I want the Bitcoin that is the one that I bought, that maintains its integrity as a network, and that I know gives me the best chance at storing my value into the future and being able to use it in a censorship-resistant way when it comes to using it as a medium of exchange. Yeah, and 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 just like we'll go into a couple of pieces. I can't I can't imagine why you would want to introduce an oracle problem onto the main chain onto where where it doesn't need to be where it can be solved at second or third layer it just doesn't it makes zero sense so if it's if there's anything that needs to be on it, there's just uh, and that's why the economic rationale alone even on ordinals and um and inscriptions um it doesn't last over time because it won't it won't live there i'm not saying it won't if there's an economic rationale for something like that to exist somewhere else i'm not saying it won't but but for a massive market to be able to uh, to be there um it just it, it it won't it won't work it won't it won't happen that if you tried to do it you would be flushed you would be the, the you'd you'd overpay for that and it'll reset over time that that'll be shown. So, so I just don't. Uh, so, so there's a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of trials. I don't. I I understand why people would try things, um, in a, in a in a market that looks like this. But uh, and that's that's okay. But 
um, it just, it, they just wouldn't last long term. Yeah. I think that people love to ask the question, can we do this? And don't ask the question as much of, should we do this? Just because something is possible does not make it inherently good. Just because it's an elegant technical solution to a perceived problem does not mean that just because you can do it, it is in yours or everyone else's best interest to do it. And I think people people lose that oftentimes. And perhaps that is just, it is the ego that we all have, right? We yeah, want I'll, to leave our mark on something. So I won't mention the VC right now, but but I talked to a partner at a different VC firm today that that they're mostly Bitcoiners, but they also dabble in. So I'd say their own personal investments are Bitcoin. And, and they also dabble in altcoins in their VC. And I didn't know that. And I, but so I talked to them today and it's pretty, it's a well known VC. And, and I was walking through kind of the, this and he said, well, listen, most of the teams that we see are way better in the altcoin space than in the Bitcoin space. And I said, so, and he's after he, he realized kind of my thesis and, and everything else. And he realized, huh. That makes a lot of sense. So how do you deal with this? And I said, I said, I disagree, number one, but I understand why it would have looked like that five years ago because there was nothing to build on Bitcoin. Right. And so all of the people jumping out of high-tech jobs into altcoin space that have done this before, they'd made a lot of money and everything else, and they had great resumes, they could build there. And they couldn't build in Bitcoin. And I said, but that is a total, I said, and you, you still see that because it's where you're looking. We see the exact opposite because it's where we're looking. We will not touch any of that altcoin stuff. And you should see the types of teams that will only take money from Bitcoin VCs and the, and, and, and the power of those teams. And, 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 and I said, but it's early. And, and more and more people are waking up to that. And what's, what's happening, what, and so a lot of these, a lot of these use cases that, that people are trying to solve at the base layer, it's because they don't see what's happening on the second and third layers because those things aren't out yet. But they will come, they're, they're coming and they're going to solve those in, in way more elegant solutions. So how many times have you heard lightning doesn't scale? I cannot count how many times I've heard that. Yeah. So probably like so, 10 this week. Yeah. <laughs> so number one, it, it, it doesn't, but it, it, it does now it's a little clunky, but, uh, uh, now, and could it scale to 8 billion people? Maybe not, maybe not. But if you see the stuff that Roy and Breeze is doing and some of mm -hmm. the stuff, uh, there, yes, it will scale. Um, and if you, and you tie that into what Fediment's doing, where where you're removing stuff and it but it looks interoperability with lightning you're removing a whole bunch of that scaling challenge into another layer um to uh to be able to 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 move that and it feels like it's still lightning and it feels it's it's so seamless across then you have the scale uh, you already have a scaling solution it's not broadly there yet just like just like when iphone iphone came out and everybody was using blackberry they didn't see what was possible on the iPhone because it didn't exist. That's what, that's how people are looking at this right now. So they're trying to make the buttons fatter on the iPhone or on the Blackberry. 
It, again, it comes back to what you said earlier about you're measuring it with the wrong yardstick, right? Yeah. You're measuring it based on your current conception. Uh, one kind of specific question that I saw on Noster for you was, do you see a tie-in uh, between Fediment and Noster? And is there, uh, is there some, maybe that's something you guys uh, are, uh, Obi and the team are already thinking about, um, but if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Obi and the team are thinking about and working uh, working on. There's lots of integrations. Um, so, uh, and and I'm going to take off the kind of Fetty hat to Fediment hat right uh, right now because I think it's a, it's important. So yes, I'm biased on Fetty because we've been, we're an investor in Fetty. But it's when I say I'm biased, I also realized that to be able to drive up that that protocol forward or that, 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 that forward, you needed a commercial entity driving adoption to be able to drive that. But what I love about Fediment is it's also open source. Anybody can compete, anybody can create, um, other. So whether Fetty does it or Fediment does it, it will happen. And there's all these sorts of use cases that just kind of provide synergistic opportunities. Um, Jack Dorsey talked about this uh, a, a little bit, and uh, I totally concur. Um, if you zoom backwards in time and and say, um, uh, look at Google or look at Facebook or look at look at some of the companies that are uh, here today, you would have never conceived of them in the previous world. Like they're different, completely different. So right now on Noster, you're getting a lot of. Um, Let's recreate Twitter on Noster. Let's recreate this on Noster. What's the what the real beauty is, and you just hinted on it, is Fediment plus Noster plus Bitcoin plus create s different things that I can't even see right now that create totally new opportunities for uh, to create create value. So those are some of the really interesting, uh, uh, really interesting pieces. And and jumping off of that a little bit, so. You have obviously a ton of experience as an entrepreneur, as somebody who built a business. You've been in the trenches building and growing a business. Uh, you've had those ups and downs. You're also now in the investor seat and the advisor seat. So you've got a very holistic view of the whole process, let's say. How do you see, because you also mentioned with Fetty building open source. And now we see, for example, a lot of the clients on Noster, I think almost all of them, are building open source. They're trying to figure out uh, how they can still keep the lights on, how they can still make money, different models getting thrown around. But how do you see, let's say, the general modus operandi of companies that are building for the future, that are building on open source protocols and that are building in the open? That's a completely different approach to the typical way of keep it close to the chest, this is our intellectual property. Don't let anyone else see it. Don't let them use it. You know, sign a million NDAs. We're seeing a shift. And I'm curious how you see that affecting the larger landscape, um, not just for companies building specifically on these protocols, but does, does that ethos start to bleed in to other industries over a long enough time horizon? So, so there has to be an economic payback for, for the entrepreneurs building so unless it's just a charity and you have a job right. in fiat world right and you're doing this as a charity um but if you're doing that then probably the best talent isn't moving right uh moving mm -hmm. over so yes you'll have that on the fringes 
but but what um so there has to be an economic rationale where the entrepreneur can provide a service to to society and get paid for that ser- uh, service whether it's in value for value whether it's in some sort of uh, m- mode but this is a complicated topic it's a really complicated topic because most people are measuring again they're carrying their baggage from the way that their world looks today into the new world and so if you start just simply and, and and by the way this ties into bitcoin security model as well it ties into everything that people don't see um but if you just follow my thesis or if that's uh that, that's true or try to disprove it first but if if you follow that thesis that prices follow the marginal cost of production we have exponentially increasing productivity meaning and bitcoin is measuring that Right. So all prices are falling at bit in Bitcoin. Then what that means is over time, it'll take less and less Bitcoin to be able to create real wealth. <laughs> right. Like real wealth. And, and you'll be denominating getting more Bitcoin. Right. That's how you're, you're going to be able to try to create, uh, uh, real, real wealth. Um, but in service to that, as you do that, all prices will continue to fall. So, so what that means for even in Bitcoin security model, right? 2140 in Bitcoin mining measured in Bitcoin, it's lots of security. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. don't need a whole bunch of other fees. People are conflating the fees in, in fiat that they're going to need and extrapolating forward while it's repricing the system. So, so, so that's, and that, and that's a design of this system of it's forcing that marginal cost of production to, to, to fall. And, and not, as long as it stays decentralized and secure, it's inevitable. So now what does that mean for businesses? What does that mean for ego death? This is something I had to go really deep on when setting up a VC in this. And what would that look like? Because you would, so what we believe in our VC is we're going to beat the hurdle rate of Bitcoin. Right. But why would I invest in a, in, in a company when I could just hold Bitcoin? Right. Only if, for the same reason I would invest in a, in a company rather than hold a T bill. Right. (laughs) The, because I believe I can beat the hurdle rate measured in Bitcoin by, by companies creating, uh, creating value and denominating in, in Bitcoin. So, um, so what that, uh, what as they do that, though, kind of the longer term implications are a lot of those things will go to free. The, a lot of the uh, the uh, entrepreneurs that are creating something, their first product market, they might get paid for it for a while, and then everybody will race in, and they're going to have to to, and then that thing will be free for society at large, and they're going to create the next thing, and the next thing. And the next thing, and it'll just keep on tra- trending that way. So you have to think about teams way differently than you would think about teams in a typical VC model. You have to think about teams and in, in I'm I want to I really care about these on this entrepreneur. I want them to be successful over a long time horizon. How do we construct a business that allows that to allows that to happen? That they can innovate instead of building a walled garden. And you can't rely on a fiat money printer to block everybody else out. Right. So, so it looks very different. Um, the, in, in the construct, when you, 
when you're actually measuring in Bitcoin, when you're kind of you're denominated in Bitcoin, you're 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 thinking through that lens and all of the implications of that lens. Do you think that there's Bitcoin is also in a way because any company that is going to be operating in a hyper Bitcoinized era, let's say perhaps that word's overused to a certain extent, but we'll use it for now. And as you're looking at companies, um, do you see that we're going to just see the amount of competition, the heat of the competition within industries, between industries, pick up more and more and more? Because in order to even be looked at for an investment, you already know that you need to meet a certain bar, which is beating that hurdle rate of Bitcoin's own repricing of the system. And with the expansion of so much open source tech, or even if the tech doesn't start out as open source, let's be honest, the amount of cyber warfare that's going to go on in the next few decades is going to expose a lot of things that were probably secret technology for a while that will be open for anyone to use because they're just going to be out there. So does that, does all of that competition ultimately just provide though a much better quality of life for the end user of whatever that is? Because so many things that may be useful to us in our lives are going to be competed over such to a point that only the best will rise to the top. And at that point, they will have to make it give us an economic incentive to spend our Bitcoin on whatever that service is. So will it just explode that, uh, be the advent of just truly great technologies, services, or is there a risk to that not happening as well? A couple ways into this that, uh, that we could discuss. Number one, um, probably something that should be pretty evident that isn't right. Um, all money does is connect our labor all over the world. Um, and, and our time. And so if there are seven and a half or 7.6 or 7.7 people disconnected from that or massively pickpocketed from, from theft in an, in an, in a layer, um, then those people aren't contributing. They're contributing, but they're almost and, and, and this. They're almost like slaves to the system, right? You're not getting the best minds inside all of humanity winning. You're, so it's it's subpar. It's not working. It's not working well. When you connect those onto a level playing field, the the increase in productivity for the world in service to us meaning prices fall faster everywhere will be, we can't, we can't even see what that could look like now because it's a count where you're measuring a counterfactual. But if you plug in our minds to something that is in service to us, what, what is, is very, very powerful, very, very powerful. 8 billion people and making life better for 8 billion people. And, and if you're providing more value for a while, um, uh, then, then somebody else and you find something that does and the output of that, you get paid a little bit more as it, as it trends towards zero. And then you find something else to do it and it keeps coming down. It's a, it, the, it, we all win. Um, so, so that would be one lens of this. And that is, by the way, Bitcoiners, like it, my house would have cost 200 Bitcoin five years ago, more than that. Right. And now it costs 30 Bitcoin. Um, we're already living in the future, right? The, the, you're in my relationship, many of the others inside this, uh, 
like you can actually see the love and connection, the truth, hope, abundance that comes from from this, and you're already living there. And and partially, what ends up happening is you want more people to see it, right? And so, but that's our. So, if you're measure, if you're denominating Bitcoin, and you're around a whole bunch of people that already are, and 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 all it is is an honest ledger, you're already experiencing the future in real time, and you're just wanting more and more people to see it. Now, to the hyper Bitcoinization topic, I suspect it's going to be a long time. Um, and it's going to be a long time because minds don't change very fast. Um, people don't see, see it. So, so just play there's, and it's, it's, it's wild to me that people, they can, they, they know that you, we have $400 trillion of insolvent debt. They know it can't be repaid yet. They choose to spend their time having their wages financially repressed and their investments financially repressed, thinking they can beat that $400 trillion of insolvent debt because they can outplay other people on the game board. That's the, 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 so, and they choose to stay in it and they make it stronger by voting other people in to be able to, uh, to, um, or yelling at that system. It is impossible to win long term in that system. It is impossible um, to win long term in that, that system unless you're very close to the top of this of the system and you're on the inside of the political edge to do that. And that's why, again, the mere reflection of society on a dishonest ledger would be who would win on a dishonest ledger. Um, it just would look exactly like the world looks like today. And then on the honest ledger, it would also look exactly like the world's going to look on an honest ledger who would win who would lose and so that's where we're going but a transition because people won't see it uh or 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 choose not to see it or it's too, or it's too big i just I'll, i just need to make a little bit more money and then i'll do it um and they st they they make the uh, what they're doing stronger they spend all of their time in the existing system making it stronger um uh and and so i see a lot of that and if it didn't look like that then in argentina or turkey or or lebanon then you would have 100% bitcoin adoption and you don't so so what what that means and even right right now if you think that through so the Chinese yuan has fallen what sixteen percent, maybe over that this year. Um, uh, uh, the the deflation or the hyperinflation in uh, in Argentina or or Lebanon that means all of those people just got rug pulled, and their labor rate relative to the U.S. is way less. In China too, and so it'll persist, and those people will, uh, those people all over the world will after having all of their savings stolen. And them trying to repay four hundred trillion dollars of debt and fail and and and, and failing and 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 doing and and losing, they will play the game again, only to be rug pulled again. And each one of these cycles all over the world will bring more people to Bitcoin, and more people who can rise above that whole game board that's distorted and actually understand what's happening on a different game board that can't be manipulated. That can't be, but. But it won't bring a hundred percent tomorrow. So it's going to it's going to take some time. So is it always gradually and really never suddenly? Then 
so so that's what i so so not always at some sort of point it's uh it speeds up and it speeds up a lot um but i think that point is still far farther out but the point but even when i say that it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's not measuring that happening right so so if you're measuring prices fall, falling, let's, let's take two extreme examples. In the U.S., they continue to tighten. Interest rates go higher. Um, there's no easing. That means houses in uh, houses where a primary source of wealth and 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 real estate and uh, will collapse like crazy. It'll be a lag to collapse, right? But but even right now, people are staying in their homes because they don't want to give up their interest rate, yep. right? And new home sales are, are one of the first, I think two times in, in history, new home sales are uh, less than re resales because of the mortgage rates. Because if you're buying a new home, you need to, the, the new uh, mortgage rate and the expense is way, way, uh, way higher. So what, what you're seeing in there is there's a long lag time because of people's previous mortgages and what they have that they don't, they, they don't want to give that up and they can't afford to and get refinanced into that. And that lag starts to bring down prices and it starts to collapse. So let's just say in that collapse, absolute calamity that, that for five years, it stays at this tightening cycle. What would, what would the actual real price of real estate be? It'd be a fraction of what it is today. It would all it would all collapse to the ground. There'd be fire sales everywhere, and if you had cash, it would be worth a lot. The problem is, although the banks would fail too, and they would be nationalized because because of that, because of the the consequence of that. But in Bitcoin, Bitcoin might fall in that environment, but you would buy way more houses with it, hmm. right? So, and if you use the opposite example on an extreme this week at Jackson Hole or next week, oh my God, we went too far. We're going to massively ease. That's because at some point they're going to have to, to save the system. And you got into a higher, higher inflation rate. And then at some point, potentially hyperinflation, Bitcoin is just rising way faster than that, that, that rate. And, and so, so on both sides, it's repricing the system, but people don't see that it's repricing the system because they're measuring everything else with that lag. And I think that's just such a, first of all, the lag makes it difficult, right? Seeing, hearing about the monetary policy changes that are put into place and then seeing the downstream effects of them with that lag makes it hard for the average person who's just trying to work and get through their day and save some money. And if you're younger to buy your first house, maybe it makes it really difficult for them to try and plan for their future because they can't really tell if they're even following that is what's going on at a, let's say the federal reserve level it's really hard for them to plan ahead and to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to try and set myself up? I, a question that I saw a couple of times when I asked on Noster was, what advice would you, Jeff Booth, give to younger people who are trying to figure out how they should, maybe they're just out of college, maybe they've been in the workforce a few years, uh, but who are trying to figure out how do you navigate this uncertainty, this changing landscape and let's say you're a bitcoiner or not either way how do you prepare yourself not only for the uncertainty of 
fiat monetary policy, which I guess the only thing that's certain about fiat monetary policy is that it's very uncertain. <laughs> but then how do you also prepare yourself for the changing technological environment where we're going to, we know that we're going to see more automation. We know that we're going to see artificial intelligence, again, bring the, the marginal cost down to zero for a lot of things. There are certain jobs that are going to absolutely disappear. I think it'll happen in different waves than perhaps people anticipate. I think I feel bad for lawyers right now, at least or for paralegals, I should say, because it's just got a lot easier to read cases and to put together a legal argument. Where do you see people needing to prepare for that future? And there's no right answer, perhaps, you know, things may change, but what advice would you give to a young person just coming out of college or just entering the workforce? And maybe they've already got a major. They already went through college. They're not going to change that now. How can they best prepare themselves for what's coming next? Use a lever. So, so a couple things. Think in first principles because you'll see you'll see what the world thinks versus versus where it's going. Um, and so, if you think in first principles, and then you construct from the ground up, it's why I'm, I can be so firm on Bitcoin, is because I've done the work. And I can't see, uh, and from, from first principles, it's inevitable unless there's a decentralized uh, and security break. Inevitable. There's nothing governments can do. There's nothing. I've gone through every scenario to try to, uh, to try to do that, but I had to go through that from a first principle to get to, to get to that conviction. And, um, so thinking first principles, um, cause you'll see things that are taken for granted from the rest of the world um, that aren't necessarily true. And then from there, you'll be able to, um, one of the things entrepreneurs do is they go after pain, right? When a whole bunch of people are in pain, they go and try to create something to solve that pain. And you can see in the world today, lots of people are in pain, right? Um, that would be hard to solve. That's why I kind of, uh, that con I realized I needed to move more of my time to Bitcoin on top of Bitcoin because I couldn't solve that pain or any real, uh, everything I was doing within the fiat system, boards, everything else. If the companies that I was, uh, that were winning, if they provided value, then that value had to be extracted by more printing every time they provided more. So, so that's why I realized, huh, I need to move way more of my time over to the system. But then when I said use a lever, um, technology is a lever. If you didn't use a steam shovel years ago and you used a shovel, you were probably uh, not very successful in the workforce. It, um, today, if you're not use, if you don't know AI, if you're not learning that, if you're not, and it would be easy to learn that. Yeah. It's um, so it, but, but use the lever. And the lever, and, and that lever, if you, if you know what's happening there and you can use that better than others, there's a massive opportunity to provide value to those others, um, or and make, uh, and, and make value for yourself on that. So tons of opportunity. I'm actually, I'm bullish. I'm wildly bullish on all the opportunity. That's why I, I can't believe I get to do what I get to do working with the entrepreneurs I get to, because I get to see this every day. I get to see this reconstruction in real time. And I can imagine what that looks like, um, as, uh, as it moves forward and there's tons of opportunity. 
if you're already in Bitcoin and you start to learn where AI is going or whatever thing that you're interested in, now you're on that right side of the ledger. And, and all of those companies that are rebuilding where we're going and, um, they're all going to need talent. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is difficult for a lot of people who are still in the fiat world. So I'm, I'm still in the fiat world. Now I have a different situation than most where I have a, a family business uh, that is uh, outside of what people usually think of when they think of fiat jobs. But to speak in the normal cases, I think that people look at the Bitcoin industry. And again, perhaps it's because of what you mentioned earlier, where for so many years, it wasn't really the Bitcoin industry as much as it was the crypto industry where things were being built, things were happening. But now, and you're right in the middle of this, seeing it kind of from that the hands-on level, there is so much development going on. So many companies being built. So many, uh, I was, when I was in Prague and they had uh, the pitch competition, I saw, you know, eight different ideas for completely different things. The judges, I'm not even sure how they parsed between all of them because there were, there was so many different takes on how you could utilize Bitcoin, how you could utilize lightning and to be able to build something on top of that. And I don't think most people, certainly so many people don't even accept Bitcoin as a solution yet. They certainly aren't going to accept that there's a solution for them in the Bitcoin workforce, let's say. And so maybe that's just, that's a, that takes time. As you said, everybody comes around to it in their own time when they really need it. Yeah. And, and then, so how do you, if that's the case, how do you, if, if you're, if you're there already, um, and you start, you're starting to understand Bitcoin or you, you want to get a job there, start networking with some of the companies, start being of value to them before, um, here, here, something I, I learned, um, and I learned from being a CEO and, um, uh, in, in technology company. Um, some of my best people weren't when I was trying to hire. Some of my best people came to help my company and they, ju- uh, and they, and they would do any, they just wanted to work there so badly. They'd take any job, um, that they just wanted to help. Uh, they wanted to help and they became, and, and they became such, so integral. And then when they, when they were there and were, and actually hired, they were also just as, motivated and were, and, and they rose really fast. So they, they were helping us before, before I knew to look for them. So they were developing, they were networking, trying to find ways to be able to be, be helpful be, uh, before. And it was really hard to say no in that type of situation. And uh, that's make yourself useful, learn by doing, and then, uh, make it, uh, make it impossible to say no to you when you want to come yeah. talking for a job. I think also because I have so much respect for people and companies who have been building during the bear market, right? Bear markets are for building as the, yeah. this, the adage goes. And I think that, that there's so much truth to that because that's when there's no hype. That's when there is not that fervor and excitement of number go up technology. It's the people who say, no, I'm, I'm here, I'm in the trenches and I want to build something that's going to be meaningful and last so that I'm prepared because I know it's like four year election cycles, but instead of politicians preparing for these elections, it's Bitcoiners preparing for the next inevitable cycle of hype. And if you can build something that's good enough to be ready for that cycle, you're going to be ideally positioned to take advantage of all of the growth that you know is going to happen in network effect. But yeah, so ready. So I want to jump into that a little bit deeper because yeah. I try to think about, so I'll just say it, we've seen, call it 
almost 600 companies, done diligence on over 600 companies. Wow. And if a company says, we're just doing it on, on the, on the cycle, we're going to, it's going to work. It's kind of a quick no. Yeah. Because you need to, we're in Bitcoin. It's so different than the existing, uh, system. I'll, I'll give you an example first in the existing system. When interest rates are zero and it's free and it's free money, if you're not raising money, to be able to beat everyone else, you're insane, right? You have to grow at all costs and it creates all of this misallocated capital because if you don't grow it uh, as fast as you can, somebody with free money will beat you. And then it pivots. And all of a sudden, everyone was telling you grow at all costs. So you've built this team and everything else. You're the winner. You're the winner. We're backing you. Urgh! get profitable. If you're not profitable, what are you doing? You're, you have to be profitable. And, and this wild swing back and forth on, on, on teams and understanding of what's, uh, what's coming. That's, that's, that's largely a construct of living in a fabricated reality, having massive consequences to entrepreneurs in the free market and every all capital decisions. It's impossible to plan long-term and build a company long-term as that's flinging back and forth <laughs> and all of the consequences of what that looks like in Bitcoin. It has a stable monetary policy, right? It build a really great business that serves people. Um, and, and don't try to get kind of all caught up in, uh, uh, in the hype. Yes. The, as you, these cycles will influence. And by the way, one of the big cycles that influences Bitcoin is not just the having it's liquidity from the existing system. So, so I would, I, I'm, I'm way more on the thesis of build really great businesses that have, that serve people, um, and will optimize at whatever right, right, right time, but you can build longer term value on a Bitcoin business because you know, the st stability of that. Well, and the idea of, I think for, I speak for myself and certainly for just about everyone I've talked to in Bitcoin, this changing in your time preference, the deeper that you go into Bitcoin and realizing really how, how kind of fucked up your thinking might've been before in terms of maybe you thought you were thinking longer term on certain things, but really now that you look back in retrospect, you're like, wow, I, I was not really planning ahead. Like I thought I was going to, it's a complete mental shift. I think both at a personal level and at a, let's say a business level, of how you operate in this environment where, again, you're looking for something that is, first of all, going to be an ethical business that provides value and that can be sustainable over the long term because you know that it can continue to provide value. And that idea that you're not just planning for the next year or the next month or you know the next week, you're planning for the next decade and you're trying to build things that really last and getting away from this, uh, okay, raise a bunch of money, blow it up with a bunch of buzzwords, get your exit, get out, move on to the next, rinse and repeat. All these things fall by the wayside in a couple of years, but hey, at least you got yours. I feel like perhaps you still being in the investor seat still see some of that type of mentality because you've, like you said, you've talked to 600 companies. But would you say that the, the attitude in how people approach their businesses is pretty wildly different from, from your time in the I would, say, I, I would say yes, but there's still this, there's most of the case because again, they're 
most of the measure is from the existing system. And so most of the constructs are from the existing system. I raise a seed, I raise a series A, I raise a series B, and then that, then a C and everything else. And most of that case is the investors own all of it. And then I hope to have 10% and we go public to sell to other investors. Um, I just had this conversation this morning with one of the portfolio companies that's ex doing extraordinarily well in the, in their deck, um, potentially raising a series. I said, uh, said, um, okay. And then we'll raise a series B. And I said, well, why, why do you have that in your deck? Because you're already profitable by the time this money is used, you're really profitable and you're growing extraordinarily fast. Why a series B? And it didn't even clue in until I said that, <laughs> but they don't, need, they, they, they don't need to, they need to provide value to, to people using the thing and, and that value will create more value for them and their, and their team and, and, and the works there. You know, I apologize. My dog is right now going insane. It's all good. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad you got that in before, uh, before he started losing his mind there. Sorry, buddy. So, um, apologies again. Um, he's a quite a volatile one. Uh, <laughs> so another thing I, and I, I appreciate the, the kind of high level business insight there. Another thing that I would love to know about is your perspective, because I think you are somebody who does a really, really excellent job of, uh, of let's say, punching up, of staying positive yeah. when it comes to explaining the problems with the traditional system without trying to make it sound too doom and gloom, to speak about things yeah. in a very, uh, let's just say, factual way that a lot of Bitcoiners, including perhaps myself, are sometimes guilty of a little bit too much hyperbole and a little bit too much, uh, perhaps doom and gloom. And this idea of two ways to influence somebody or to suggest that somebody dive deeper into this Bitcoin rabbit hole, because we know that there's something great here. We want to share it, right? We want to evangelize to a certain extent. There's the way of showing somebody what they're running away from. And there's the way of showing somebody what they're running toward. And I think different approaches work for different types of people, but I'm just curious from your perspective, in your experience, when you're talking with people uh, all across the board, what do you find more effective? Is it the pain point discussion of here's what's broken with the current system, which is how you really broke down the price of tomorrow in a lot of ways. You didn't bring the solution until the very end. And I thought that was really powerful. Sometimes though, I think when we Bitcoiners are trying to orange pill uh, the masses, or at least our few followers on Twitter, we get into too much of the doom and gloom and then the solution just sounds like pure hopium because wow you've just told me how broken this system is and how could anything possibly fix that what advice do you have for bitcoiners trying to be better educators trying to be better at spreading knowledge about this incredible technology that we know about but that we're not always so good at explaining and that people don't always listen even when we do explain um it takes a village uh, so, so, so there is no one right way to do it and there's no right one time there's, uh, so, so each person is, I, I've said, I've said this many times, but your reality, um, is as true for you as it is for me. It's just a mirror of you. Of you. If you don't like that, what most people do, if they don't like the reality is they point something else is the problem when, when when it's typically inside you inside you so if if you love 
the exposure that you get from yelling at people, then, then, and, and people love you for that. It'll be a small sub segment of the, of, of the world that loves that and will reinforce you for it. And you'll keep doing it and you won't see everything else, but it'll be tr as true for you as my world is true for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's good for that, that's, that works for you. Um, I know what works for me. Um, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make anybody me. I'm just trying to, to, to do what works for, uh, for me. And what works for me is breaking it, breaking it down and, and, and then talking about the transition path and what I'm doing to be able to, uh, to, to, uh, to move that transition path. The other thing I, I, um, like if you, you talk about ego death, when we say, I orange pilled them. That's pretty egotistical, right? The, uh, so when, when you, when you think about the, very that, true. Yeah, when you think about that case, so, so I'm sure that when, when you think about how you were orange pilled, it wasn't somebody orange pilled you. It was, you had your own creative thought that you, you saw it, right? You finally saw it. And it might've been 10,000 different points of reference and, and different people who had contributed, which you might not even subconsciously or consciously know. It might be in subconscious that then at some moment you were ready to look deeper. And when you look deeper, you orange pilled yourself. That's what it looks like as, as this moves throughout society and it just moves there is so, and as more and more people start to understand this and look at it at different levels, People won't even know which person was their orange, but some people might, but I, I just, I, 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 I don't like thinking that, okay, I keeping a ledger of the orange pill, this person and this person and this you got person. your little black book. Yeah, it just doesn't look, it, or little it orange book, I should say. I, you hope, uh, or I hope that, uh, that you don't even know the impact you have one day. Yeah, uh, you hope you you show you have an impact, a positive impact on people that you never have to know about. That uh, that it just was a positive impact. I think that that's such an interesting point where we have this. Uh, it, it's our ego talking, and we have this desire to want to say, "Oh, uh, you know, I orange pilled this person or that person." But again, thinking of my own experience, I can't think of a one singular moment. It's really for the. It's a gradually then suddenly experience where all of a sudden it's, it's when you're sitting there and all the totality of what you've been reading and researching finally comes together and you say, oh, oh, I get this now. That's actually yeah. why I find, uh, that's why I find questions work way better. Yeah. Um, because, because those, the, the questions allow somebody else to, to, to find it for themselves rather than being told when you're told something you, a lot of times you're, you're, if you have a different point of view, you're caught, you'll lock that lock down and, and you'll, you'll say your point of view rather than, but if you're, um, if you have a question that somebody can't answer, uh, it forces them to find the solution themselves. And I think that that is probably, uh, that is the best possible advice for trying to, whenever you're, see people have the problem all the time of, I can't get my partner to, uh, to understand Bitcoin, or I can't get my parents to understand Bitcoin or my neighbor. And I think so many come, times it comes down to exactly what you're saying, which is that's when you're just telling somebody that's just two egos budding. Yep. When you're asking somebody, 
when you're asking them to think about it themselves, then you're letting them try, if they don't have the conclusion already, to reach their own conclusion. And then it's not you telling them, it's them understanding it. And that's right. so much more powerful than nobody likes to be told. Let's be right. honest. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I want to be conscious of your time, Jeff, because I know we're getting close to the end. One other thing I'd like to ask you just at a more uh, practical level is, are you, uh, besides perhaps uh, your own book, maybe rereading The Price of Tomorrow again to see if you missed anything, uh, is there anything you're reading right now that you're really enjoying or that you've uh, read or listened to recently that you're you're really loving and would recommend? Um, Lynn's new book, Broken Money, is fantastic. Oh. Um, the fantastic book, it's a must read. Um, the, uh, I just read a book called spies, which was, uh, which was uh, really interesting. It just made me think about, I, I didn't know this even when Europe was reconstructed, there was a 5% essentially slush fund, black pool fund for the CIA. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and that was just one of the highlights out of it, but, but it just made me realize the entire espionage spot the, the the way the world works today and all of the constructs on it are largely because it because of different nation states trying to get the upper hand on broken money uh and 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 so it just uh, it was an interesting read to, uh, from a historical lens on what the, what that looks like and why it would be getting worse in in today's uh today's world but it's all a a second order effect of, of broken money. Um, and then, um, a different one, uh, uh, time travel and warp drives is, uh, is an interesting, uh, interesting read. Nice. Well, I, I just ordered, uh, Lynn's book today. She posted that advanced link on Noster. So I was happy. I added that right to my Amazon cart and I can't wait for that to arrive. Uh, before we close out, is there anywhere that you would like to send people who are listening to this? Uh, you're at Jeff Booth on Twitter. Uh, I don't have your NPub memorized on Noster. <laughs> yeah. but- <laughs> I would just, yeah, uh, if people are watching this, um, and, and Walker, you you do a good job on Noster as well. I just uh, follow me on Noster, get on yeah. Noster. It's just more important. It's just the, I'd say the, 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 I'll leave you with this. World, world on broken money has to centralize communication too. And so a lot of the things you're doing, we're, we're doing, all people are doing on top of that centralization of communication. No matter which narrative you believe, right, left, Elon's great, Elon's terrible, no matter what, it centralizes power into certain individuals who are using a system to enrich themselves at your, uh, your expense, whether they know they're doing it or not, um, it's co- concentrates and that concentration is a huge risk to, to where we're going. So things like Noster are the antidote to that. And it's, uh, and because it can't be, it can't be controlled. It's decentralized uh, at a protocol uh, level. So, um, I, I think often that, okay, what happens if the, the government comes and says, to Microsoft who own, who owns GitHub, this code can't be on GitHub. Yep. Microsoft has no choice to com- comply. So it shows how communication channels or the centralization of risk in form of that, in form of that provide real risks to society thriving. Um, and, and Noster, Noster is a way. So I'm spending more time on Noster 
as a result of the same reason I'm spending more time in Bitcoin is because I want to influence the world I want to see. So it happens faster. So I think that's a, um, that, uh, but it is also for, for a bunch of people looking into that, it's going to cr- uh, also provide them extraordinary value creation. I couldn't agree more. And perhaps at some point in the future, I can have you back on and we can, I, we could have a deep dive just on Noster alone. I will also continue saying Noster, even though I believe I may be the only one who's not saying Noster at this point. But <laughs> it's I'm, okay. I'm, You've been there long enough. <laughs> you know, I, I'm in too deep at this point. Yeah. I, 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 you know, old habits die hard. Yeah. Uh, but I'll definitely, I'll link to uh, your, uh, your Noster Noster in the show notes. If you are listening to this and you don't know what uh, Noster is, uh, I highly recommend you check it out and I'll link some resources for that too. Uh, but Jeff, thank you so much for taking your scarce time to join me today. This was really a pleasure. I learned multiple things from you and you gave me a couple of uh, lovely little nuggets that I can't wait to dig into deeper uh, because they forced me to ask some new questions of myself. So I really just thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And thank you to all those who have listened or watched this. Bitcoin is scarce. Uh, There will only ever be 21 million, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to this one. And thank you again, Jeff. Thanks, Walker. Awesome. And that's a wrap on this Bitcoin Talk episode of The Bitcoin Podcast. A big thank you to Jeff for sharing his scarce time with me for this episode. You can find Jeff on Noster at primal.net slash Jeff Booth. And you can find me on Noster by going to primal.net slash Walker. If you're interested in sponsoring The Bitcoin Podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net. If you want to follow The Bitcoin Podcast on Twitter, go to at Titcoin Podcast and at Walker America. You can also find the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash at Walker America and at Walker America on Rumble. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million. But Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.